Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Dave Pendleton. Dave. Martin. I'm going to pretend we haven't had technology issues. <laughs> what technology issues? <laughs> oh dear, technology. Eh? So Dave, welcome back to the T2 Hubcast room. It's been crazy busy and we're not getting in with the frequency we would like. I think that's fair to say. I think it's very fair to say, but in exchange, we're carrying out many, many meaningful exchanges with customers and clients. Exactly. But we have a commitment to podcasts and content and video and here we are. Uh, and we are going to talk about something that's hot at the minute in terms of working with teams, working with leaders post-pandemic as we reintegrate back into a, a sort of semi-normal way of working, a uh, mixture of remote-based teams, on-premise teams, hybrid workers, everything's changed, which is fantastic. And we like to evolve and we like to move forward with the times. Um, one of the topics that we're talking to leaders a lot about at the minute, Dave, is psychological safety or how to create psychological safety within a team. But more importantly, why psychological safety is one of the most influential factors on productivity, performance and engagement. So we've delivered quite a, a lot of this recently, Dave. And for anybody out there, let me just set the scene on on the definition of psychological safety and where it comes from. So the term was coined by Amy Edmondson from the Harvard Business School, who did some research into what made teams productive. And this is the definition of psychological safety. Psychological safety is a sense of confidence that one will not be punished, rejected, or embarrassed for speaking up. And, and it sort of is backed up then, Dave, that in 2012, Google, who we all know, launched the world's largest study into, psych into team performance, which was called Project Aristotle. The aim was to find out what made the most successful teams successful versus the sort of mediocre teams versus the underperforming teams. They analyzed over 100 different teams across the organization in separate areas. And what they found was a lot of the common stuff came back, Dave, with the top performing teams like goal setting, clear vision, you know, good culture, def clearly defined roles and responsibilities, you know, all that good stuff. Yep. But what they did find in Project Aristotle was that the number one contributing factor to a team's overall performance was when the group had psychological safety. Mm. When people weren't afraid to contribute, to speak up, to be honest, mm. when they didn't fear repercussions or reprimand over actions and thoughts and feelings, right? Mm. It really is uh, important. Now, I'm going to bring you in in a second because we've been doing some work on this. We've conducted our own research here at T2 in psychological safety. We've got our model. It's very much built on two things trust and freedom when when human beings have a level of trust and a level of freedom in what they do mm -hmm. they generally feel psychological sa uh, psychologically safe and we also now have uh, broken that down into the eight fundamentals of psychological safety within trust and freedom which we will cover but dave first thoughts mm -hmm. is it Im as important as i've just made out as amy edmondson feels as the google study mm. shows mm. um and what are you finding when working with teams on this topic? 
Well, interestingly, um, off the back of uh, what you just spoke about there in terms of the uh, project Aristotle that Google carried out, it actually helped them remodel and reshape their organizational uh, visions, goals, and objectives and so forth. Um, and, and one of the things that they live by is something that they describe as rigorous candor, which is one of their organizational values. And of course, rigorous candor means the ability to be honest in the moment. But we can only do that if we have no fear. And that's the whole point of psychological safety, having no fear of being able to speak, you know, relatively freely, whilst obviously taking into consideration people's feelings and so forth, um, and being able to challenge, I guess, if we don't agree with something or don't agree with somebody's ideas or thoughts, being able to speak up around negative types of behavior and so on and so forth. So um, I think it's something that we've probably been aware of for quite some time. Uh, and you you maybe agree, Martin. Um, but I guess now it's got a title. All of a sudden, it, it really brings things forwards to the front of our minds and gives great clarity about what that thing is that we've been aware of for quite a long time. Yeah, and we've always talked about empathy, compassion, inclusion, uh, diversity and inclusion, We've all and inclusivity. We always talk about the importance of idea generation and contribution and collaboration. So we've 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 worked with teams a lot on the importance of this. But you're absolutely right. When you can bring it under the banner of actually, from a psychology perspective, mm. why mm. how humans are likely to operate within a group of people when they either feel a fear of reprimand and a lack of trust, mm. or when they have a high degree of trust and no fear of reprimand. Something psychologically uh, happens in human beings where that will lead to a set of behaviors in either direction, which will be productive or counterproductive. Sure. So it's really, really interesting now to to put this together. Um, all right, Dave, let's let's go through the eight fundamentals of psychological safety. We've talked at a high level that it's created by a person's level of freedom to contribute, mm-hmm. but also that person's trust of others and trust in the fact that they will not be judged, reprimanded, um, you know, for what they say or or do. Um, So we break it down into freedom of trust. Let's start with freedom. So under freedom, there's four key things that we talk about. um, And these need to exist if psychological safety is going to flourish within a group. Sure. Number one, emotional freedom. So this says to a person... You know, I am free to express emotion and share how I'm feeling. Mm. You know, generational differences cause havoc with this because you've got the old guard, the baby boomers and before, who don't really believe that there's a place for emotional neediness or Mm. emotions or Mm. whatever it might be. You get up, you crack on, you do a job, you know, and, and all that type of stuff. Whereas I think younger generations are not afraid to show emotions or to display emotions. And in fact, as we know within our research, they are slightly wired more emotional than previous generations for reasons we probably can't go on to on on this podcast. But psychological safety, that that it begins with human beings are able to show emotion and share how they're feeling, good, bad, or indifferent, in front of the group. Yeah, 100%. And of course, you know, what you say there about generations is, is hugely important. You know, we talk about generational difference quite a lot in the work that we do um you know and the the generational differences of of many different bands and titles like the millennials and so forth 
Um, but I think just generational difference is the important thing. And and certainly my kids, you know, my son at 21 is, is far more emotionally intelligent than I ever was at his age. Um, and there's a good side to that, but there's also not so yeah, good there is side a, to that. There's a yeah. very good side to that because he can describe how he feels in certain situations. He can describe emotionally what, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what triggers him, you know, and what makes him feel safe and so forth. But when it starts to go the other way, because I'm generationally very different, I'm just a bit like, well, just pull your bloody socks up, mate, and yeah. get on with your thing. Yeah, but which of course know, where it creates the the the, the mismatch. It, yeah, and that's a fine line, and it's worth mentioning because you don't want him to stop opening up and talking and chatting and sharing no. how he feels, but you also have to care a bit when it's going into a, an extreme yeah. way, which yeah, is absolutely. then leading to counterproductive thoughts, feelings, and behaviours. Sure. So, you know, it's the same in the workplace. What we're not saying with this, by the way, is that. Every person in the organization has the right to emotionally offload on everybody else because you've got to think think of the wider group and the mm, impact. Sure. We all have a responsibility to control our emotions, to yep. interpret them correctly, to mm. use them in the right way. Um, but what we're not saying is that nobody in the organization can be emotional. We leave our no. emotions at the door and we come here to do a job. I think psychological safety exists when we start to say to people, you are free to express emotion right? And share how you're feeling. And that is important. Mm. But you're also responsible for making sure that you interpret those emotions, you know, find coping mechanisms to, mm. you know, to suppress them if they're going into an extreme, um, you know, if it's extremely starting to impact the way you think and, and, and act. But we're not saying that it's a bad thing. So, you know, emotional freedom is the first part of psychological safety. Sure. Second one, number two, uh, express concern. So I, as well as you know, free to express emotions and share feelings. Express concern is slightly different in the fact that it says, I'm able to express concern around all aspects of my job. Mm. So if I don't agree with something, if I'm struggling with something, if I don't have what I need, I'm free to express that without that coming back on me as for, for any reason that I'm moaning or I can't cope or whatever it might be. Now, again, there's fine lines with all of these because we do get those people in workplaces, Dave, who are closed-loop <laughs> thinkers. Mm. The world's against them. They are victims, mm. and, and they have no accountability for themselves. What we're saying here is you'll generally, as long as the balance is there, people should be able to express concern around aspects of their job without the fear of repercussion. As long as it's mm. legitimate, healthy, and we can either address those concerns or support, support those concerns as a lead, leadership team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, this is, this is about where it hampers progress so if there's if there's something that's causing me a lack of progress i need to be able to speak up about it um you know because if we just all express concern all the time it would just turn into a moan fest so we've got to be able to express concern for the right reasons in the right situation for me yeah and and the answer might not solve the problem so it what we're saying here is it's the expressing the concern and that is okay that mm. creates psychological sure. safety. Absolutely. If as a leader, I turn around and say, listen, Dave, I hear you. I think you make a valid point. But for these reasons, mm. it's going to present a challenge to do anything differently yeah, or to absolutely. change this. Sure. So how can we get resourceful and, and do something different? Mm. As long as you are heard and it's okay for you to express concern, that is the psychological safety part. It doesn't mean to say that we can fix everything or change everything, sure. it just means that we don't operate uh, an organization where you say, listen, I don't want to hear it, Dave. Stop moaning. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, that, that's what this number <laughs> yeah, two yeah. says. Yeah, right. it's, it's been heard and considered. Exactly. That's the important thing. 
And if you get a few wins, then hmm. you're more you're more willing to take uh, to support the situations where you don't get a win. Yeah, right? absolutely. Number three, I think this is uh, really important as well. It's idea generation. So a level of freedom will also start to to flourish in an individual when their ideas are welcome mm. and considered. So this is not about just expressing concerns about the job or emotions. This is about, I've got a new idea. Mm. I've got an idea how we can do something completely different or radical or bring something new in. Mm. I'm seeing something that you're not. And although I'm low down in the organizational hierarchy, mm. I've got an idea. Mm, absolutely. So, Some of the very best people to generate those ideas are the people that are doing the thing. Yeah. Wh whatever that thing is, you know, whether it's answering the phone, in a customer service situation or whether it's high level strategy planning, you know, some of the, some of the guys at the call face, if you like, are the ones to generate their best ideas. Exactly. And, and that's really important for psychological safety because people get great fulfillment and feel part of a group when their ideas. And again, like concern, it doesn't have to fly all the time. No, Your ideas don't no, have absolutely. to always get the, the budget and the backing and no. they come to fruition, <laughs> but being acknowledged and being able to throw ideas in the pot and suggestions mm. and contribute mm. meaningfully is really important. It is. You know, leaders and organizations who, who reserve idea generation for the boardroom are not creating psychological safety within groups or no. are not building upon it as as, as, be, as much as they could. Sure. that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, number five, this is the uh, number four, sorry, the last one on freedom. So we've had, you know, I feel relatively free when... I can share my emotion, emotions, emotional freedom, when I can express concern, when I can generate ideas and they are considered. But number four is alternative opinions. So I am free and feel comfortable to disagree with my colleagues. <laughs> now, this is different to express concern. When you're expressing concern, it's not you're not in direct conflict with anyone. You're just saying, I'm concerned about this situation. Yep. When you're generating ideas, usually it's exciting for the greater good. But number four says... When I can comfortably disagree with another colleague, mm. so you put your idea in or you say something and I can actually have an alternative opinion mm. and disagree, mm -hmm. that creates psychological safety. Now, this is a tricky one because mm -hmm. it's the way it's done that's important, isn't it? Yeah, you can, you can easily cause conflict and, and stuff with this if you get it wrong. Yeah. However, what this is an amazing thing about this model. Psychological safety exists when people disagree. And, yeah, and, and absolutely, it's, you yeah. know, a lot of people mm. might think that's crazy. How can you feel psychologically safe if someone's challenging you? Mm. But people do if if the you know if they're free to do so without repercussion, and it's done in the right way for the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, for I'm sure. sorry, Dave. I mean, before you go on, you do this a lot. Uh, With I me, wouldn't, I wouldn't say a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, listen, all we've got to do here is we've just got to consider that different brains work in different ways. You know, we do loads of this work. You know, we do it with the, the profiling tools that we use, we use behavioral styles, you know, even the psychological safety model and questionnaire, different brains work in different ways. Um, so, and, you know, an analytical brain works very differently to a, you know, a, a driver brain, you know, for example. So, you know, when, when the analytical puts forward an idea that the driver brain doesn't necessarily concur with or can align with, if we just go ahead with it and agree, we call these guys passive agreeers, right? And we agree, it potentially means that we're taking on something that we we could potentially do, but we wouldn't be happy doing it. We wouldn't feel comfortable doing it because it doesn't align with the way that we like to do things. So having the ability to disagree, to share why we disagree, 
is really important. But for me, the next bit is is the crucial bit. It's about why we don't agree and what we might be able to agree on is what makes it constructive and positive as opposed to just negative and destructive. Because yeah. just disagreeing all the time makes you a disagreeable person that nobody wants to work with. So if you are going to disagree, you've got to be able to say why you disagree and actually what might make it into something that we could both agree with. Yeah, absolutely. If in the first four um, points we've raised here under freedom, I think this is the area we spend a lot of time in our training and development courses with leaders and organizations working on because this is a fundamentally important part of a functional team is the ability to have alternative opinions and disagree. However, the way which in which you do it, the position in the language, the the you know what can constitute a microaggression versus a, versus a genuinely positive challenge. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the subtle nuances of language, Dave, that can send yeah, that conversation. Mm. You know, so mm. for example, if, if if you want to disagree with me in in front of the pe- in front of the group, and you say, Martin, can I just challenge you there? Mm. I'm going to think, well, you can, but I'm bloody ready for you. Yeah, absolutely, I'm on front foot. Whereas if you say mm. You know, Martin, you make a great point, and I completely get mm. it. What if we looked at it from this perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm already then going with you in this conversation, sure. right? So there's very subtle nuances and language which would which would constitute, you know, a challenging, healthy debating discussion versus a personal, yeah, absolutely, like attack sure. type uh, mm. discussion. All right, so it's really important. But let me just recap this before we move on to trust. The first four fundamentals of psychological safety all under the category of freedom how free am i to contribute in my organization or team is number one emotional freedom i'm free to express emotions and share on feeling number two express concern i'm able to express concern around all aspects of my job without the fear of kickback number three idea generation my ideas are welcome and considered and if they're mm. not always mm selected i've been heard and i'm free to contribute creatively and number four alternative opinions i am free and feel comfortable to disagree with my colleagues as long as i do it in the right way and it's for the greater good and uh, and it's healthy debate and discussion so that's only half of the picture though dave what else creates psychological safety is when we trust so there's you know five to eight points five to eight are under trust and we'll go with the first one the first one is vulnerability so the fifth um, fundamental psychological safety is when I feel it's okay to be human and doubt my abilities and standard of work. I'm all right to have a wobble every now and then and mm. say, I feel out my depth, Dave, or mm. I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't have the answer to that question. Sometimes this one we talk about a lot. We People don't want to look weak in organizations. So they hide their vulnerabilities mm. and pretend they can be all things to all people and they've got mm. the answers to all questions. Sure. That's not good for psychological safety, right? That's mm. just that's just masking problems mm. which will arise mm. later on. Right up to the top of the chain, vulnerability is important. That is okay for people to go, I don't know. Don't have mm. the answer to that. Not mm. very good at that. Would you agree? Yeah, well, uh, and listen, how about this for a clear indicator that this absolutely exists in the in the professional world and the world in general? How many, and this is a question for you, how many um, one-to-one coaching sessions have you carried out at high level where people have explained a scenario that they're not quite sure about and don't really understand the terminology but instantly you recognize it as imposter syndrome. Oh, 
I mean, the word imposter syndrome seems to come up all the time and it comes up mm. the higher up the chain you get. Doesn't it? Yeah. So absolutely. that is a very clear indicator of the inability to demonstrate vulnerability. It's not okay to be human. I cannot demonstrate or illustrate my weaknesses in this role. Therefore, I create my own doubts about how people view me and my capabilities. So therefore, I have doubts about myself that are only generated by myself. It is. The biggest contributing factor to imposter syndrome is your inability to be vulnerable and admit that you're not, you're not great at everything. Mm. And, and as a leader, when you act and behave like that, and therefore you set the tone within a team that we can't look weak, we can't be mm. saying that we don't know what we're doing, right. right? Then you create a team mm. of imposters. Right. And when you have a team <laughs> of imposters with very low psychological safety, mm. people will hide mistakes. You will People will put things under the carpet. People will become devoid of accountability. All the things that will then hijack your ability to actually be productive as a team, right? Sounds like you're describing sales teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's that was a, a generalist statement, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, well, I'm an ex-salesman, so I've, I've, I've hidden loads of stuff under the carpet in my career. But the, 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 the point being is, you know, vulnerability yeah. is the one thing that's not human because we don't like to look weak. We're in survival mode and we don't like to admit it. Yet it's the biggest contributing factor in my eyes of all of this list towards psychological safety. It's okay mm. not to be mm. good at everything. Mm. It's okay, right? Mm. Okay, well, you, like, well, you think about how, how much organizations spend on tools and processes and people and reviews and so forth to try and highlight people's vulnerabilities in the workplace by observation or measure. If people just highlighted their own vulnerabilities by observation or measure, organizations won't have to do it. The biggest, the biggest most productive people who come through our work are the ones who sit in the process of this self-awareness journey, the print profiling, you know, the psychometric testing, the 360 feedback tools, and they go, that's really helpful because I can be like that. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not very good at that. Absolutely. And I can see that. Mm. It's like that, that bit. And then there's the other people who who shy away from it and put the shield up and try and counter-argue. And you're thinking already that is, is part of the challenge, your inability mm. to be vulnerable. Now, Dave, I'm just going to move it on because we've got eight minutes left and, I, and I, I want to make sure we do the last three justice. They're all interconnected. So number six, um, discuss mistakes. This comes under trust as well. We discuss and learn from mistakes without judgment. We focus on the solution, not the problem. So if in the first four segments it says around able to express concern and have alternative opinions, what this is saying is when mistakes are made, we don't bury them. We don't overly focus on who's to blame and what the problem is. As a team, we own our mistakes. We put them on the table. And as a group, we discuss moving forward, what can we do differently? And what did we learn from it? That This is largely set by the leader, isn't it, Dave? The leader yeah. will allow that to happen or they will be overly focused on what went wrong and who's to blame. Sure. But it kiboshes psychological safety if you take that route. What the great teams do and the great leaders is go, listen, any mistakes, put them on the table, mm. learn from them, discuss them, and we talk about futures and going forward, what we're going to do differently, not mm. who's to blame. Sure, that's, a really, that's really refreshing, Dave, isn't it, when you've got a leader who allows that to happen? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to keep coming back to the previous point, but that can only happen 
where people feel as though they can demonstrate vulnerability. I made a mistake and it's on the table, so let's talk about it's it. It's all linked. Absolutely. If you're, if you're willing to be vulnerable, you're more likely to table mistakes. Yeah. But then vulnerability can be quickly taken away when someone goes, okay, I'll be vulnerable. I made a mistake. And then they get vilified for it. Yeah. Absolutely. So then what will happen is then they'll stop being vulnerable and then the opposite happens. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, mm. it's all connected. But where leaders and teams say, any mistakes, it doesn't matter what happened, what went wrong. Yes, we want to learn from it and we want to dissect it a little bit, but we will always remain mm. focused on what we would do ne- different next time and ha- what we can learn from it. Always, you, solu- uh, you know, solutions, not problems. And do you think that's generally because the vast majority of people see failure as the opposite of success rather than part of it? Yeah, because as we know in our psyche, we're, we're programmed to survival. Away from uh, pain. Away from pain. Mm. And uh, generally, the way traditionally a lot of cultures and and organizations have run is that failure is bad bad mm. results are bad absolutely good results are good yeah so yeah we're wired to be able to do that but where we can tip that on its head and say it's an important part of the process absolutely that's what great teams do number seven this was the surprise package of the eight fundamentals it's mm-hmm. under the, the the group of trust but it's limited confidentiality so what this means dave is if i'm in a group or a team I'm not often kept out of the loop and I feel well informed of the organization's aims, goals, and future plans. So what that's saying is when there's quite an open, transparent team Mm. where I'm not left out of the loop, I'm actually involved or I'm aware of what's happening, I feel (laughs) safe. Whereas if I'm in a group where there's constant secret Mm. squirrel conversations (laughs) going on, you're always kept at arm's length. You find out about things second nature. Mm. There's always the rumor mill happening around the shop floor. And I'm left to put two and two together and come up with 56. When there's too much confidentiality, I don't feel safe and mm-hmm. I don't trust. Yep. Now, some people question us, don't they, and go, well, some some things are not for the workers to, to, to hear. So, yeah. yeah. Some <laughs> things are reserved for the leadership team. What will the, You said it the other week when you asked somebody and they said, but Dave, what would they do with that information? Well, really, I, who knows, <laughs> right? But I always argue, Dave, that, but you only ask that question if you don't trust them. Yeah. <laughs> Surely in an organization, other than salaries, personal information, mm. and things like redundancies, et cetera, what else mm. needs to be confidential? Well, absolutely. Mm. I, I mean, I always ask people this question. Tell me something else that sh- needs to be confidential. Mm. And they struggle. They struggle. They're mm. like, oh, well, what about when we're going to be, you know, uh, doing a new product or service launch and we, we don't mm. want people to know about it just yet? Why? Why wouldn't you want people yeah. to know about your upcoming exciting mm. product launch? You don't have to give them everything, but you give them something. Sure. So limited confidentiality. When the manager or the leader or the group are constantly keeping stuff to themselves and you're finding out second nature, it really damages trust and it really in- inhibits that psychological safety. Now, last one I'm going to come to, and then we can wrap up with the last few minutes. Um, and then we'll come back and do a second podcast on the grid and everything else, Dave, because yeah, I think sure. it'll link nicely. Yeah. Number eight, interpersonal understanding. So I know and understand others in my team enough to trust their intentions and their motivations and what drives their behavior and believe this feeling is mutual. So when we get to know each other, Dave, it's all the work we do. Yeah. What's your personality? What are your drivers? What are your motivations? Bit of your personal life. Who are you? How, you know, Mm. what's your backstory? When we know each other well enough, we trust each other more. Mm. When we have a professional surface level relationship, Mm. there's never going to be that deep level of trust. So getting to know each other is really important, isn't it? It's really important, yeah. And I think some of the 
some of the most eye-opening work that we do is is when we take people through that process because you see these instant light bulb moments that people just get why people are like the way they are. Yeah. So you all know? of a sudden it's not personal. You, oh, I get no. it now. You're trying to That's satisfy right. this or you're just trying to, trying to yeah. get it from this angle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're not being hard work at all. It's just the way that you think. Yeah, you, you're not purposefully challenging all the time. It's just the way you think. It's just the way you're programmed. And once people understand that it, it's not personal and it's not people being awkward or obstructive or whatever else, it makes a whole difference. Yeah, absolutely. So let me just wrap up this and then we'll record a second podcast, Dave, on advice for leaders and putting it all together on a grid, right? Yeah, sure. But we've discussed psychological safety. You know, we've given you the definition of what it is and that actually through Project Aristotle at Google, it came through as the number one reason yeah. that teams performed highly and productively. They had psychological safety. It's based on freedom and trust. And we break that down to eight fundamentals. And I want you to ask yourself this question listening to this. Are we fostering this in our environment or where is our opportunity to improve? Number mm. one, emotional freedom. Are people free to express emotions and share how they feel? Number two, express concern. Are they able to express concern around all aspects of their job? Number three, idea generation. Are their ideas welcome and considered? Four, alternative opinions. Are people free to feel comfortable to disagree with colleagues in a productive mm. way? Five, vulnerability. It's okay to be human and doubt abilities and standard of work. Let's not create imposter syndrome. Six, discuss mistakes. We discuss mistakes and learn from them. We focus on solutions, not problem or blame. Seven, limited confidentiality. I'm not often kept out the loop and I feel well informed of everything that's happening. And finally, interpersonal understanding. We get to know each other, what drives us, mm. what's behind our decisions and behavior. And that puts it in a completely different context. And Dave, with 30 seconds left, I think that's a good start, and I think we'll come back and do probably episode two. Yeah, more to come. More to come in terms of talking around how leaders can really lead this and where you might end up on a grid. Definitely. Dave Pendleton, thank you very much. Pleasure. And we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.